you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Nobody like Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 What a great presence of the Lord is in the house today. We're glad you're here. We're glad the Lord is here. I'm about to bring our speaker to this platform this morning to open his heart. And in order for him to open his heart and God to do what he wants to do, you have to be willing to open your heart and say yes to what God's voice is wanting to speak. Marvin Mitchell proves to me that I'm getting old. I think my first year on the youth committee, he was a camper in Conker's camp. He worked through all many, many years of rec director and moving through the ranks. I finally met his lovely bride, Anissa, and um, we've watched them grow. And I heard him tell Danny last night that he was 41, and I realized I'm getting old. Of course, the church, many in the church know Brother and Sister Mitchell and their connection with the district, and some of our softball players are still a little sore from a few years ago, um, meeting them at the championship game, and it ended in the CLC defeat. But we are honored this morning that he is coming, not as a softball player and not as a worker at camp, but he's coming today as the man of God for this hour. He pastored in Columbus, Indiana for quite a while, and the Lord led him to take a step in onto the evangelistic field, and he is helping churches all, to, all over the country with different areas and avenues of ministry that he is trained and specialized in. He's highly educated. He's a man of prayer. He's a family man. He has two wonderful wonderful kids that are with him today. As a matter of fact, Sloan spent the night and Aiden spent the night at my house last night. It just felt like old times. And Valen this morning is here. She may be in a class or maybe here. I'm not sure. We love the Mitchell so very much and I invited him several months ago to come and be with us today and I'm, I'm glad they're here. Are you ready to receive the word of the Lord? Would you make Brother Marvin Mitchell feel very welcome as he comes this morning? We love you, sir. Clap your hands into the Lord. And if you have strength in your voice, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. For you are a victorious people. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless your holy name. If God has been a blessing to you, would you raise up a blessing to him right now? Come on, in your own way, in your own words, in your own form or fashion, bless the Lord from your soul right now. Let all of your heart shake and let heaven hear the echo of your praise. Oh God, we stand before you a saved and sanctified people, mended and healed and guided back to your throne room. We love you, Lord, and we bless you this day. Oh, God of mercy and God of grace, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
Would somebody just join me in saying hallelujah? I'm not sure if you know this, but if perhaps this is your first time here. Maybe this is the first time you've shouted hallelujah in the church and you wonder what in the world is this crazy group of very excited people yelling a strange word that cannot be English. What does this mean? It simply means the highest praise. And there's no English translation that really recovers its meaning. So we've adopted it here in our humble culture, and we just say at any time in the service, Hallelujah, Lord, because you alone deserve the highest praise. I lift my voice to many things. I clap my hands and give applause. I give honor where honor is due, but there is no honor I give like what I give to the Lord. For he is wonderful. He is mighty. He is powerful. He is merciful. And he's been good to me. If God's been good to you, lift your voice and shout aloud. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, praise be to my God and my Lord. I feel the presence of the Lord in this service this morning. God does not show up anywhere on accident. He doesn't do anything Unintentionally, He didn't just stumble into your life, and it's not an accident that you're here today. You are here for a specific time and a specific purpose. And if you will believe that and believe that God has a specific work to do in your heart and your life and your soul this morning, you will see the magnificence of His glory not just resonating around you. I don't just want to touch the Lord. I do not just want to come into his house and receive my Sunday blessing. I want to be overwhelmed by the glory and goodness of God. And if you will believe that God has that in store for you, we will not leave this place the same way we walked in today, but we will leave admonished. We will believe filled. We will leave this place anointed, new, and fresh. Because God is a God of new life and abundant life. Thank you, Lord. It is great to be back in Frankfurt. It's been several years since my wife and I have been here. It's great to have my wife. She's also my girlfriend of a couple of decades, and uh, we're still trying to date each other. I recommend that highly for all of you uh, that have been married a little short time or a very long time. Find a place to go on a date this week. It's also great as I embarrass my son to all sh utter shame to have him with me, a great, great young man. And there's so many friends in this church. My daughter's probably somewhere burning the new building down in class. God help that class. She might take over and, and start to speak. Uh, but uh, it is great to be with you. What a beautiful, beautiful house of the Lord that you have sacrificed, that you have sweat and bled how many have sweat and bled around this property in the last few years? But you have planted a seed, a seed that will show a harvest in this region. This church happens to be in Frankfurt, Indiana, but this is not a church just of the members of Frankfurt. I believe that you have planted seed all around this region, and you are going to see a harvest reach far and wide out from what you might be able to see with your own eyes, but God has already seen the harvest. And I honor each and every one of you as a church for sacrificing to get ready to reap a harvest that God has already purposed and promised. You have positioned yourself to allow God to do a great and mighty work. Please give yourself a great hand for God is proud of you, this church. I give honor to this ministry team led by our dear, dear friends, some of our closest friends, lead pastor and first lady, pastor and sister Jordan. If you love them, please put your hands together and let them know. You are very blessed. And I tease him often, but I have great respect for Pastor Danny and Sister Cheryl, two very godly people. He may not act godly all the time, but, but 
He shows me that there's mercy. That I may, I might make it to heaven. Because if Pastor Danny can get there, I, I think I can too. So I thank you for that ministry. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a unique ministry. But I know you love them, and this church would not be what it is. This church would not be where it is. Without Pastor Danny and Sister Cheryl, I give honor to the newcomers who have sowed seed in this district and been faithful. So many of you have planted seed. Brother Dylan, great job leading worship today. This church has not been selfish. And God can trust a church that is not selfish. God can bless a church that has not been selfish. Amen, amen. And after I've said all that, please remain standing for just a moment. I want to introduce this word today with a brief story. At the age of five, his father died. At age 16, he quit school. At age 17, he had already lost four jobs. At 18, he got married. Between ages 18 and 22, he was a railroad conductor and he failed. He joined the army, but he washed out. He applied for law school, got denied. He became an insurance salesman and failed again. At age 19, he became a father, perhaps a little bright spot in a distracted life. At age 20, however, his wife left him and took their baby daughter from his loving arms. He became a cook and a dishwasher in a small cafe. He failed in an attempt to get his daughter back, and after many, many attempts and striving and reaching, he finally convinced his wife to come back, and they were a family. He worked hard, but he never really accomplished much, and at age 65, he retired, retired from very little accomplishment and very little success, but he thought, well, that's what you do when you're 65, and on the first day of retirement, he received a check from the government for $105. He felt that the government was saying that he couldn't take care of himself. He hadn't provided very well for himself or his family. He didn't feel like anything but a failure, and he decided to take his own life, and his life wasn't worth living anymore. And he just failed so much, he'd come so short of what the culture had measured success as. He sat under a tree to write his will, but he couldn't pin the words, he couldn't write the story for his will. He sat there and paused, and the only words that he could pen was what he would do if he had a second chance at life. And so instead of writing a will, he wrote what he would have done. In that moment, he realized there was so much more that he hadn't accomplished, so much more that he hadn't achieved. But he recalled that there was one thing that he could do better than anybody else he knew, and that was he knew how to cook some grub. So he borrowed $87 against his check. He bought and fried up some chicken using a homemade recipe, and he went door to door, selling it out of buckets to his neighbors in the good state of Kentucky. At age 65, he was ready to quit on life, ready to hang it up. By the age of 88, Colonel Sanders, the founder of the Kentucky Fried Chicken conglomerate, was a billionaire and owner of one of the most successful fast food chains ever to be developed in the United States of America. I want to preach for a few moments to, I'm hoping, a few open hearts this morning. There is a story behind the glory. There is a story behind the glory. Would you put down anything that's in your hands right now? Would you lift up both hands to the heavens as a sign of your availability to the Word of God? Would you open your mouth right now? Would you tell the Lord, I'm ready for your word. I am prepared, God. So many stories are being written in this room today. So many lives being shaped. So many voices being spoken into our ears. This culture being pervaded by so much, God. I pray, God, that we would be reminded this morning that with everybody trying to speak in, so many things trying to write our story and finish our story and some things trying to convince us that our story may be ended. God, I am reminded by your word this day and this hour that you are the author and you said you're the finisher of my faith. 
So I cling to the word of God that is true and must be true because God, you've never lied. It is not in your nature to lie. And you spoke it that you would finish our faith. So if God, you spoke it, let us believe it this morning and let us know that it is purposed for this day, this time, and this hour. And for everybody under the sound of my voice, God, let your word penetrate deep into our souls. In the wonderful name of Jesus, would you say amen if you're ready to receive the word of the Lord. Amen and amen. You may be seated in his presence. Paul wrote the book of Romans under the inspiration of God to a people needing a revelation that we were not just, just justified by our capabilities by our actions, by our own accomplishments. But we are in fact justified by our faith. Our faith in God the creator, God our savior, God our maker, and a God who is certainly our provider. Do you believe that today? In our text today, Paul is using the life of a legendary Old Testament hero by the name of Abraham. Has everybody, have you ever heard of a guy named Abraham in the text today? Pretty well-known figure. But in order to understand the text, we have to look at what's going on around the text. We have to look at the context. And I'm so glad that God gave us an Old Testament hero that is in fact a man just like we are. Romans chapter 4 and verse 17 says this, As it is written, I have made you father of many nations in the presence of him who believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they already did. Who contrary to hope, against all hope, Against all odds, in hope he believed, so that he became. Church, you become what you believe. If you believe the world is against you, you'll find the world coming against you. If you believe tragedy is on the horizon, you will seek and find tragedy coming toward your life. If you believe there is no hope, it will eventually become you. But if I could preach to a church today that would believe, if you want to overcome disappointment in your life, on this day, if you want to overcome the discouragement that comes so often, if you can find it within yourself to find hope in Christ Jesus, the Bible tells us that you will become that hope through God. Is there anybody in the house today that came into this place carrying some heavy burdens, coming to this church house with some distractions. Perhaps it was everything you had in your body to get out of bed and get to the house of God this morning. I see some smiles in the house. I must be in the Word. Sometimes just getting here is a journey. And we walk into this place sometimes Sunday after Sunday carrying things that our shoulders were not designed to carry, but His were. And God says, if you can just hope, if you could find it within yourself to believe and that you can be justified by a faith in a God that's bigger than you, that whatever is overwhelming you, my God is big enough to overwhelm it. Whatever has overcome you, my God is an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. Speak it and it will be. See it, and it will come to you. If you believe it's against you, and you believe the tragedy is coming, it will become you. But if you can believe God is a way maker, if you believe God is a healer, if you believe God is a savior, can I preach to some people this morning that came into this place saying, God, I need you this moment in this hour. I need you in my family because I've tried it on my own. I've carried it on my own and I'm tired of carrying it alone, God. But God, you said you'd never leave. You'd never forsake me. And God, if I can just believe in a hope that's bigger than me, just perhaps I can walk out of this place being a hope to a lost and dying world. 
Because God's promise for your life is not just about you. Can I be bold enough this morning? I'm amongst friends, right? Church, we've got to get over ourselves. You can't believe that your healing is just about healing your body. Do you realize what happens when you leave this place with a testimony and you walk amongst unbelievers, you walk through schoolway and doors of workplaces and you walk in next, next week and you say, do you know what God did for me? Can you believe this day that God wants to fulfill his promise and his work in your life because he wants to do a work through you? He wants you to become hope. But you've got to believe that he can heal and make and mend and steer and guide and perhaps provide an answer that you've been searching for for a long time. God is the answer. He said, I am the truth and I am the way and I am the life. God is going to do a miracle in your life because he wants to show this world he's a miracle worker. This is bigger than you. This is about the kingdom. Hallelujah. It says, become the hope. In hope, Abraham believed. Verse 18, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. Mom and dad, what you do now will descend from you. It goes on beyond you. Verse 19, and not being. Weak in faith. Abraham didn't consider his own body. Stop worrying about your limitation. Why is it that when God calls us to do something, the first thing our flesh tells us is that I'm not capable of doing that, Lord. Well, of course you're not. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. He didn't expect you to fulfill the promise, fulfill the calling, fulfill the miracle, fulfill the testimony by your means and methods. He expected you to look up to the heavens from which my help might come. Hills, valleys, it doesn't matter where you're at. He is God and he is God alone. He is the way and he is the life that you will become. Abraham did not consider his own body. The next words spoken by Paul are not very kind. Already dead. That's not very nice. He wasn't dead. He had him in the grave already. Since he was about 100 years old, Paul's like, Abe was dead, man. He's 100. He's an old dude. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. Man, that's not nice. He's talking about girlfriend now. Verse 20. But it says he didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, everybody say giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he, he had promised, he was also able to perform. He promised. He was able. It's not our promise. It's not our ability. It's God's ability. It's God's promise. Stop doubting the word of God because we can't see how it will be fulfilled. If we just have a little bit of faith, we will see through the eyes of the Spirit what only the Spirit can achieve. But here's the honest part of this. We get back in to this text, and the fact is, Abe was 100 years old. Everybody say he was an old guy. And Paul gives us, looking back at the text in Genesis, he looks back and he gives us a little bit of a highlight reel of Abraham's life and journey through his walk of faith. Because it was a journey. If you just read what Paul wrote in Romans about Abraham, you would think the dude just sailed through life. What's that song? Sailing, take me away. Going back Christopher Cross, like 1982 there on you. 
I mean, that's Paul's recollection of Abraham. And, and Abraham's like, hold on a second. There is a little bit more to the story than what's being told in the testimony. We are given a glimpse at how he held on to hope when everything seemed to be working against hope. When so many had given up, the Bible tells us that Abe didn't. All the voices of unbelief. How many have had voices of unbelief in your, in your life? Voices of criticism. Anybody know where I'm at? Voices of doubt. Sometimes outward, sometimes from inside the mind. But it says he was strengthened in faith by giving glory to God. He ignored all the things going on around him. And the way he was able to get back on the faith journey to find the fulfillment of the promise was that he found his way to an altar and gave glory back to God where the promise first came from. But Abraham made it look easy. He made it look really easy. Pastor Jordan, I know you can, you can sympathize with this and, and testify. I've seen some dear men of God and women of God that have walked into tragic situations, whether it be at a family or a church, and I've scratched my head sometimes and go, good luck. I wonder how they're going to get through this one. And you see them speak a word of faith like they were Jesus Christ standing on the bow of the boat speaking peace be still to the storm. And I'm just, my jaw hits the floor, and I'm like, how did they do that? But what we don't often see in a demonstration of a hero, whether it's in the Bible or whether it's in life, whether it's a great pastor, a great elder, a great woman of God, a man of God, what we don't see in 30 seconds of them speaking peace in the midst of a, a tumultuous situation or what we don't see in a 30-minute sermon that we just say, I don't know how they can deliver that walking through what they're walking through. What we don't see is the 30 or 40 or 50 years of the journey, the prayer, the sacrifice, the pain, the scars. We don't see the whole story that prepared them for a moment with God. It's not as easy as it seems. It's just not. But we can't comprehend the destination unless we can first recognize the journey. I think if Abraham could talk to Paul about what Paul wrote about Abraham and how he didn't waver and how he didn't weaken in faith and how he never gave up and how he didn't lose hope, Abraham might say, I know it looks easy, but that's just the highlight reel. And church, we've got to stop judging people by the highlight reel, judging ourselves by the lack of a highlight reel. When we're not looking at the cutting room floor, we're not looking at the foundation that was planted in prayer and fasting and building altars and redeeming and restoring our time with God, the experience and time that God was allowed to lay a foundation. So if we look back at the cutting room floor of Abraham's life, Look at Abraham in Genesis 12 and 1. It says, now the Lord had said to Abram. This is before he went on Will of Fortune and bought a vowel and had an extra H and became Abraham. Same guy, though. Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house. Leave all your comforts and your traditions. God's taking you somewhere. He might have to get you out of your comfortable place. He might have to shake you away from that Sunday morning chair in this service in order to get you into a place where he can do a miracle in your life. Sometimes we grip the pew or the chair so firmly. We're, we're sitting through services white-knuckled. We're sitting through life and seasons of tragedy, holding on to our comfort zone. And God's saying, if you would just get out from where you're comfortable, if you would just step out by faith in a moment of faith, I can step in and do a work when you let go. Why are you worried about things I didn't call you to carry? He says, get out from your country to a land I will show you. Verse 2, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you, everybody say you, look at your neighbor and say you, shall be a blessing. Just wait, Abraham. In Frankfurt, Indiana, in January of 2020, good gracious, I can't really say that. That's amazing. Just wait, Abraham. They're going to be talking about you in the 21st century church. Do you think Abraham would think we would be resonating and, and holding up his name? 
Thousands and thousands of years later, when he was walking through his own dry place, when he was walking through his own valley, do you realize how far and how wide your testimony is going to touch the face of this earth? Do you realize how your family, your children and children's children, should the Lord God tarry? Do you realize the promise of God in your life is bigger than what you can see right now? He says... Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. Turn to your other neighbor, stick your big finger right in their face and say, Neighbor, you better be nice to me because the Lord loves me, and he'll curse you if you curse me. Love them that love you. Verse 4 says, So, and he's about 75 right now, Abraham with Sarah departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And then he headed to Canaan, and then he went down to Shechem, and then he went down, settled underneath the terebinth tree. It sounds a lot like Anissa and I in our first decade of marriage. We were just a traveling rodeo show, moved about every year and a half. Anybody had that experience, that wonderful, lovely journey of packing and unpacking and packing and unpacking and packing and unpacking? That's what Abraham was doing here. Verse 7, then the Lord appeared to Abram, and he said, to your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar. When God says he's going to give you something, he's not Santa Claus. Don't unwrap the gift and run away from the giver. Abraham said, oh, this is the land you're giving me. What did he do? He went back to the source. He built an altar. He built a monument to recognize where the promise came from. Because I never want to forget my source. I never want to forget who fulfilled his word. I never want to stray away from the place that God took me from. So I'm going to build an altar. He appeared unto the Lord and who had appeared to him. And the story had just begun to be written. Church, there's a great story that exists behind the glory. In Romans chapter 4, Abraham is very efficiently depicted reaching the pinnacle very quickly of God's promise. But if we go back and we read Genesis 12, 13, 14, and 15, I'm not going to take the time to go through all those today. There were struggles and there were successes. If we look closely, there were some tough times. There were some dry seasons. There were some desert. There were some parched land. There were some zigging, some zagging, some detours, some lost times, some doubting times, some questioning times. And I'm sure glad God gives us human heroes in the Bible so we can have hope when everything in our life seems contrary to hope. In hope we can believe so that we can become. You think your family has issues? Y'all, can I testify every family got issues? Every family got issues. In chapter 12, the Bible tells us that Abraham, there was a famine in the land, and they were hungry. And he had the bright idea, let's go down to Egypt to get a good meal. And on his way there, he realized his wife was beautiful. Girlfriend was like 80 by this time. It took him 80 years to her about 60 years, to realize his wife was beautiful. And upon realizing she was beautiful, what an aha moment. That usually happens earlier in the relationship. He has the bright idea that, oh, man, there's going to be some other men that are going to be interested in in my wife. And as her husband, they're just going to kill me and take her. So what did he do? He said, oh, I got an idea. Let's lie and pretend that Sarah is my sister Instead of my wife, your man lied to get a good meal and said, my wife is my sister. And you think your family has problems. Think about the children, how confused they must have been about dad letting go of mom. Thankfully, excuse me, thankfully he had a great awakening and he got back Sarah as his wife because God could not fulfill in Abraham's life what he was promised to do without Sarah. Excuse me. I said it once before and I'm going to say this again and again. 
The promise of God on your life is not just about you and the people around you that are part of that promise. God has led you to lead them. You have to be the fulfillment of the hope, become the hope, so that they can fulfill the promise of God in their life. I wish every father and mother would say amen. Excuse me. So he went down to Abraham. Abraham went down to Egypt and came back. God's promise was upon his life. God wanted to make a nation of people for himself, and he started with one man. Everybody say one man. But Abe and Sarah, how do I say this, were not properly equipped to fulfill the promise of God. And they were saying, God, I know what you're saying. I know what you've called us to do. I know what you've spoken. But God, we cannot physically do what you're asking us to do. Have you ever felt like God was calling you to do something that you could not do? Have you ever felt that God was leading you to a place that you knew you could not go on your own? And God, I just don't have what it takes. Maybe God has revealed a word to you, a promise, a direction, a calling, a change in your life. And you receive confirmation and some time passes and then hope begins to fade with time. When we meet Abraham in our text, He is 75 years old. By the time we get to Genesis 15, he's 86. It's been over a decade. It's been some time. And still, there's no heir. There's no male child to carry Abraham's lineage. How is he going to be the father of nations and he doesn't even have a son? How, God, are you going to fulfill this? Abraham looks at God and says, God, I know what you said, but... Eleazar is about to inherit all that you had promised me unless we have a son. God, you spoke it, but I don't see it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And my hope is waning. The disease of doubt began to creep in, and we begin to put question marks where God put periods. So God, what if I do it my way? God, what if I try it by my own means? What if I... Figure something out. And in Genesis 15 and 4, the Lord said, This one shall not be your heir. You cannot be with your maidservant and fulfill my promise. This is not going to be done your way, Abraham. You can't see it, but you've got to believe it. You can't figure it out with your own mind. But you've got to trust that I know what I'm talking about. For I am God, and I am God alone. You can't do this your way, Abraham. The promise has got to be done my way. He said, that will not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body, your broken body, shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside. He took him out, out beyond the tent. He said, look up. What am I looking at, God? Look at the stars in the sky. Look at the heavens. Look at the sun, the planets. Do you see all of that? I made that. That's what your descendants will be. Why are you questioning me, Abraham? Why are you doubting that I can't do what I've said I would do? Would you look up right now and realize that I am the maker and I'm the creator. I am the one. I am the only, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. And if I can do all that... Why are you doubting that I can't fulfill the word I've spoken into your life? Look now toward the heaven. Count the stars if you're even able to. And he said, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord. And he accounted it to him for righteousness. Do you realize that when you put your faith in God, God accounts it for righteousness? What's that mean? The book of Romans tells us that it is imputed righteousness. That literally before you are righteous, God looks at your faith and the hope you have in him. And he says, I have faith in you. 
you. And I have hope in you because you've had faith in me to be your Savior, your Creator, your Promise Maker. And God says, I will count you as righteous even before you are righteous. I will see you as whole even before you are whole. I will see you as saved even before you are saved. I will see you as sanctified in the waters of baptism even before you take on my name because God believes in you. He believes in you so much that he trusted you with his promise. Do you realize what you're holding? You're holding the miraculous power of his promise in your hands and in your life. God doesn't have a plan B. He only has you. That's why I know without a shadow of a doubt, he will fulfill his word in your life. If you'll just believe and receive, he will confirm the faith of the faithful. Clap your hands unto God. Yes, Lord, speak, O God. Then we turn the page in chapter 16 of Genesis, and Sarah's like, hey, Abe, you babe, honey bear, sugar pie. We're not getting any younger. And I love your ambush mission, and I, and I know you had a great time with the Lord, and he took you outside, and he, you saw the stars, and you got inspired, and you went to church, and Pastor preached a good message, and you came home saying, hey, we can do this. Any spouse would be honest in the place, and husband or wife, and maybe you weren't part of the spiritual experience that your husband or wife had, and they come home and testify to you about what you're about to do as a family, and you go, ah, all right, sure. Anybody honest enough to raise their hand? Yeah, God help us. Hey, Abe, you babe. I love your faith. But you know, just go be with Hagar. Let's make this easy on both of us. And we'll, we'll fulfill the promise of God. Everybody say that way. Everybody say the easy way. Let's, let's, let's make this happen a way that we can figure it out. Let's try and do this, you know, let's not make this difficult. The problem is, church, God's promise can only be fulfilled through God's provision. If it's fulfilled through our ways, through our provision, through our capacity, through our gifting, through our abilities, it's our promise. I don't need God to do what I can do. Can anybody recognize with me that we need God to do what we can't do? I need God to pick up the pieces that I can't lift. I need God to step in when I get weak. For his strength is made perfect in my weakness. His gifts step in when my gifts stop. His power comes in. When my power is limited, this is his promise. This is his provision. And he will fulfill it because he's spoken and he must fulfill his word. For when he speaks, it's creative and it must be. Just like the sun and the moons and the stars, when he said, let it be, they were. And the seas came and life came and life will come back into your family and life will come back into your soul and life will come back into your broken body. Why do I know this? Because the promise of God is upon you. Everybody say amen. Somehow, we managed to add chapters to our story that God didn't write. Why is this so important for us today, preacher? It's important for us because too often, we think others have it better than we have it. We think God gave others more favor than he gave us. We think God gave him more provision or more, more uh, blessing or 
He just Maybe God's just forgotten about me. Maybe I ate too much pizza during that prayer and fasting revival and, and God didn't really speak that word to me. Maybe that word and that sermon or that song, that was for two pews back and three seats over. That really, I, I thought that was for me, but it really wasn't for me. I'm sorry, God, that was my mistake. It was not a mistake. If God spoke into your life, he did so with a purpose. He did so with a promise. And he will do so with a provision. But you've got to feel faith building up inside of you that you have a hope contrary to hope. That you have a hope contrary to doubt. That you have a hope contrary to the haters, the backbiters, and the criticizers. That you have a hope that goes beyond your means, methods, talents, abilities. God is about to fulfill his word in your life if you will open your vessel and receive it. Somebody lift your hands right now all across this place. Lift your voice to the Lord and say, God, I hear your word spoken into me right now. Yes, Lord. Somebody say, yes, Lord. God, I'm tired of saying maybe, might be, could be, possibly. God, I say yes this day. Yes, Lord. Shout aloud, church, yes. You may be seated. Do you know why we feel like God was better to everybody else than us? Take social media. I'm not going to pick on it too long. The very nature of social media, Instagram, Facebook, whatever your thing is. I can't keep up. I'm ancient. Do you realize that everybody posts the life they wish they had all the time? And the reason we feel so insecure in our own life is because we only post what competes with the life that they posted about. And the entire world is living this, this mirage, this thing that's, that's not really the real truth. And if you get to know somebody, you know there's a story behind that moment of glory. You realize there's more that happened that led up. You don't realize that the miraculous healing they walked through three years of chemotherapy and God healed them and God deserves the glory. But there's a story behind that. Can we as a church and a people of God realize that there's a story leading up to a moment of glory? But can we be honest with people in the world and let them know there's no perfect people in this house today? If you're a guest or a first-time worshiper and you look around, maybe you look around today and say, man, these look like a bunch of perfect people. These look like a bunch of people that have it all figured out. Let me tell you what, if you're perfect and your life's all great and you walked in here today, pastor, please excuse me, but you can probably be dismissed. Because you won't fit in very well in the church of God. Because we're all a bunch of broken sinners saved by the grace of God. They have a story that led to the glorious moment of redemption. And we stand here under the mercy and grace that God offered us at an altar where his glory fell into our lives. Can I get a witness in the house today? God will fulfill his promise in your life. But we've got to go talk to a world about all that God took us through to get us there. And that's what Abraham's trying to share with us. He's trying to share that there's more to the story behind the glory. By the time we get to Genesis 17, Abe is 99 years old and the biological clock has officially just fallen right off the wall. It's done, dead, cooked. But God says in Genesis 17 and 16, and I will bless her, Sarah, and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face, and what? He laughed. Have you ever laughed at God? I've yelled at God. I admit that. He laughed in the face of God. He mocked God. And God said, watch this. Not only are you going to have a son, his name's going to be Isaac. And it's not going to be Ishmael that might live before you. His name will be Isaac because this is not happening your way. This is going to be happening my way. And Isaac, what's that mean? He laughs. God says, you want to laugh at the faith that the provision that I'm going to provide, I'm going to give you a promise so laughable, so miraculous, so unbelievable that you're not going to be able to do anything but look up to the heavens and go, oh, my God. God did it. 
And he says, I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant. God waited 24 years to fulfill his promise that carried his covenant because he needed to teach Abraham. And he needed to teach his people something vital about faith. How do you hope and continue to have faith when so much that you can see is contrary to hope? God, you said it, but I don't see it. See this. Nothing gets stronger without resistance. In order to get stronger, you got to have something to push against. Whether it's muscles, an immune system, or faith, you got to have something to push against. The muscles, the mind, the soul doesn't meet resistance. It can't grow stronger. That applies to relationships. That applies to a vision. That applies to a church, to a family, and to a believer. I've always wondered, God, why did you allow evil to persecute your people? Why did you allow bad things to happen to good people? God, why? I don't understand. I don't understand. I'll never understand. And then I had an aha moment, and I realized God allows things to come in and allows us to push against and struggle and resist because he doesn't want our love for him to be weak. He wants our love to be stronger than any other love. He wants our covenant to be strong. Stronger than any other covenant. He wants our faith in Him to be greater than any other faith. Your choice to live for Him and to love Him with all your heart, soul, and mind can't be the only choice. Or it's not a choice. This is a covenant of choice. He let you choose to love Him, to believe, and to trust Him with your situation. Your faith to be challenged, and yet to remain faithful. Because if it doesn't push back against your faith, church, it doesn't require faith. But when you can't see the promise and you can't reach the destination on your own, it requires, everybody say, great faith. Someone here today, maybe you walked into this house this morning starting to lose hope. Lose your grasp on your faith. Letting go of a word. Maybe it's fading from your memory or your heart. Maybe you felt like you wasted some days. Anybody felt like you wasted some years? You wasted some seasons. You wasted some time on some people that just weren't worth it. When there were other people that you needed to invest in that were worth it. And I'm just preaching from the bottom of my heart. Today. In this moment, in this hour, in this minute, if you can hold on to your hope and keep believing, keep faith, keep walking, keep listening to the voice of the Lord, faith doesn't mean that you're not facing the facts of life. On the contrary, great faith pushes against what you can see, pushes against what you can feel, pushes against the adversary and the voice of doubt. Faith overwhelms the facts that are overwhelming you right now. Jesus, it doesn't matter what the facts are saying this morning, church. If God gave you a promise, if he gave you his word, and you know his word to be true, touch your neighbor and say, hold on to your faith. Your faith might be in a fight right now as I'm preaching. But Romans 4 and 18 says, contrary to hope, in hope he believed so that he became the miracle. This is a hope that will never disappoint because it is a hope not in this world, but it is a hope in the Lord. 4 and 20 of Romans said, He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened, everybody say, in faith, giving glory to God. He lifted up praises for the promise of God was about to give. You say, but the facts, no, he gave glory. But the failures, it didn't matter. But the journey away from the path, God was given glory. But the feelings of hurt and disappointment, he gave God glory because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things we cannot see. A lot of times we look and we say, what's the opposite of faith? A lot of times we'd say doubt. I don't believe that. The opposite of faith is sight. The opposite of us believing is a seeing. And we've got to find it within ourselves this morning 
to see that the greatest blindness in this world is not a physical one, but a spiritual one. So I give God glory because of my faith, not because of what I can see, but what because he's already seen in me. Somebody clap your hands to the Lord. And when I can see my promise through the eyes of the king, I lift up praise and his glory comes down. I lift up my glory and his presence comes down. And the power and the glory of God, when it resonates amongst us, nothing, the Bible says, is impossible through Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians, and I'm almost done, 4 and 16 says, Therefore, do not lose heart. Shout aloud, do not lose heart. Even though our outer man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding weight of glory. Can I preach to you that when the glorious weight of God comes down in any situation, chains begin to break at the weight of his glory. Burdens begin to fall away at the weight of his glory. Worry and strife begins to fall away at the weight of his glory. God, for I consider, Romans 8 and 18, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed Everybody say, in me, in me. You can be restored right now, this service, just by faith. God's word says it to be true. It will be revealed in us. Somebody needs to declare, the facts are no match for my faith. The failures are no match for my faith. The journey that's taken me off away from the Lord, no match for my faith. It doesn't matter how dark the days have gotten. Oh, the light shines in darkness, and the Bible says the darkness could not even comprehend it. God's light will shine in the darkest hour. The enemy thought he was writing your story, if the musicians would help me. The enemy thought he had already pinned the rest of your journey. Let me have your attention for just a few more moments. What the enemy didn't know, can we stand all across this place? The enemy didn't comprehend the power of a cross that ripped a veil that allowed the glory of God to pour out unto a people that were lost and dying. The enemy thought he had pinned the distraction from your faith. The enemy thought he had pinned the pain that would pull you away from believing in God in this moment. The problem is the enemy, the doubters, the criticizers, the haters, those that have pulled you away, what they do not know is that your story, the rest of your story was written in red so that your destiny could be robed in white. What the enemy didn't realize is that when the darkness weighed on you, the facts fell upon you, the failures condemned you, the grace of God came in and where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. What the enemy didn't realize there was, there was a people in this house this morning that says the blood of Jesus has been shed for my sin, for my brokenness, for my pain, for my failure. And by his stripes, I am healed. By his pain, I will feel no more pain. By his suffering, I will feel no more suffering. And as I open this altar right now, the glory of God will begin to fall in this place as the veil has been rent because the story behind the glory in your life is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why did God go through all that? Why did he humble himself in the fleshly body of Jesus Christ? He said, I have come that you might have life. Not life as you know it. Not life just mended or put back together, duct tape and bailing wire. No! I shed my blood 
and I stirred the waters of baptism and I pronounced my name to be called upon and I released the glory through the power of my spirit. Why? So that you could have a new life, a life more abundantly. If you want abundant life today, if you want a life free from pain, free from worry, free from the stress, free from the stressors in your family, would you find your way in this moment of faith with your hands lifted, walk out of your seat right now and walk into the glory of Lord and let the blood of the Lord wash you and heal you. If you've never been baptized, God can wash the slate clean in Jesus' name. He's gonna fulfill yes, the finisher of my faith. Let God finish something right now in your life. Give it over to Him by opening your hands. Oh God. Every promise, every word spoken. Don't give up on God. God. Cause he won't give up He's on never you. given up on you. He's able. God. Hold on just a second. Can I speak to you for a moment? The enemy is not intimidated. by us going through any motions of faith. The enemy is terrified by us being overcome by faith. Every eye closed, every head bowed. If you came into this house today overwhelmed, spirit, soul, or body overwhelmed, would you lift up both hands right now? If you have such a heaviness and a burden upon you, that you don't want to leave this place with. Lift your hands high and with a boldness. I want you to speak aloud right now. In the name of Jesus, by your stripes, Lord, I will be healed. If somebody around you has their hands raised, I want at least two or three to gather around them. And I want you to speak in the name of Jesus. Put your hand on their shoulder. If you're a minister, lay your hand on their head. And I want you to pray a bold prayer. I want you to pray a miraculous prayer. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. God, my faith is bigger than the facts. Lord, your eyes can see what I cannot see. But I believe right now that you will confirm the faith of the faithful in the name of Jesus. Come on, lift your voice to the Lord. As you lift your voice, God will lift your burden. As you lift your faith, He will lift your body. As the Holy Ghost begins to flow, the glory of the Lord is falling in this place right now. That's what he said. Hallelujah. He yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. He's Come on, every hand raised. Everybody in the back, pray for those with a need. Jesus, Jesus. He's right here. Right now.
somebody to pray with. Everybody move in this place. I want you to go and speak a word of faith to somebody right now. Speak it with the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Find somebody, a friend, a brother, a sister. Speak my faith. Say God is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that you can ask or think. Come on. He's gonna fulfill 